Well, hey there, Graham. Hello, David. Welcome to the studio. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks. I just thought I'd be friendly. I've, uh, we've been, this is like episodes 40 or something. I've never been welcomed, so now I feel welcome. <laughs> well, you should be welcome. Hey, why did the people not like the restaurant on the moon? Why did the people not like the restaurant on the moon? Uh, something about gravity. I don't know. <sighs> There's no atmosphere. <laughs> uh, solid. That's a good one. <laughs> better than last week's. Yeah. Marginally. <laughs> Margarinely? 5.2. What did you say last time? Five. Well, you know, incremental improvement, I suppose. Here's some trivia for you. Okay. Did you know that I was named after George Washington? I don't believe it. Yeah, Washington was named in 1732, and I was named in 1985. Well, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. <laughs> that is... Um, it, you know, there's a fine line between a fact uh -huh. and a joke, and sure. I'm not sure the line is actually that fine. <laughs> That's a big fat marker line. <laughs> uh, two point nine if you add another three to Are get to five point inverted nine. scale oh yeah. wait what yeah five point nine what did you say for mine something like that five five point one is my official my official ruling that's fair five point one it's fair truly enough of the nonsense let's get on with the nonsense Welcome back to Withy Window, a whimsical, interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's an adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm George Washington. No, no, no. You're named after George Washington. George Washington II. You... Okay, you know what? You are officially being called George Washington II oh, as many times as I can remember to do it this episode. <laughs> and that's George Washington II. J-W-2. But our guest later on in this episode is not named after George Washington, except that he also was named after George Washington. But his uh -huh. real name is John Clawson. And he is a wonderful illustrator of yeah. many children's books, picture books, middle grade books, all kinds of stuff. So we had a wonderful conversation with him, which you're going to hear in a few minutes. And he's descended from the pickle guy, right? Uh, no comment on that, but we did address it briefly. <laughs> By address it, I mean we referenced the pickle brand. You've got a good memory. I don't remember that. Um, okay, so we have a whole episode of Withy Windle coming up. What did you think of last time? Episode one, episode the first, episode the long... Awaited the long, long, the long, long night. <laughs> the long. <laughs> that was 5.1. This is 5.2. I think that 5.2 is named after 5.1. <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, last time, uh, you know, we went about a uh, hundred minutes. Mm -hmm. Say we keep this one brief. Let's go for 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Okay. Record well, speed. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up now and to get to our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't do that to you. We know you've been waiting. Not by, I don't mean you. I mean the kids. The kids I know have you would do that to me. Yeah. Have, been have been waiting for this for so long. And so we, we can't, we can't short them on, on their No, on we their wouldn't podcast. even know how to do it. We, we, <laughs> It, right, it, it wouldn't work. We've already wasted like six minutes. And by waste, <laughs> that I mean used yeah. six minutes. Of course, before we get to all the stuff that is going to, to happen on this episode, including the conversation with John Clawson, and which is preceded by things like story time. Lazy I, words. I have a story, time, story for you this week, Graham. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, lazy words. Of course, snack time. Mm. And then at the end, we're going to have riddles. Before we get to all that kind of stuff, we need to, to remind the kids about, about a book. Do you remember? Do you remember the book? 
Yes. Oh, yes, I do. We're doing an ad. We are. We're doing an ad. You were doing a subtle transition, and I just stepped on it. Um, you just you just walked into the wall, and then you said, that's a wall. You know what? I, I, I saw a sword and a stone, and I just pulled it right out without even asking any questions. You pulled the sword out of the stone? So this you book... must be... This book is called... Um, Legends of the Round Table. Legends of the Round Table. Yep. I yep. know this. Yep. Because uh, you designed the cover I designed for it. the cover. <laughs> I was looking at it today. I know what it's called. <laughs> so this is a great book for kids who like such things as knights, uh, princesses, mm-hmm. wizards, swords and stones. Tables. Uh, true. Especially the, of the round variety. Ra- yep. uh, well, if you like a, if you like a, a uh, hexagonal table. Yeah, I don't know if this is for you. Not the book for you. Yeah, probably not. Rhombus? Triangular mm-hmm. table. Yeah, you might enjoy it. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Yeah, it's yeah. at least you get a, we get a good taste of it. So uh, this is from our friends over at the Cersei Press, and they have a new collection of these Arthurian legends that's coming out this spring. You can pre-order it right now, and it's going to be shipping soon. It's got a whole bunch of the most beloved tales. You know, like uh, the Finding of the Sword in the Stone, which you mentioned earlier. Um, Things like Excalibur, but there's also some lesser-known stories, like the tale of. Uh, Balin and Balin, uh, two brothers who accidentally fight each other, maybe even kill each other. Uh, there's also a story about a young man who wants to be a knight but has to prove himself worthy, even while a young maiden asks him to do silly things, which incidentally is just a thing that young maidens do sometimes. Yeah. This is a very special version. I'm going to move on from that comment by saying this is a very special version of Arthurian stories because it's designed specifically for reading aloud, for reading together. And if you want to, there's questions that you can ask whilst you read. See how I brought in a little Arthurian word there? Whilst you read. Uh And there's questions for further thought. Shouldst you want to use them. Um, So it's great. Great at making King Arthur engaging uh, and simple for family read-alouds. Graham, you designed the cover. Congratulations on still having a job. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, Yes. I I do enjoy this cover. I think it's one of my best ones like you said it was in the top 100 it's in the top 100 i would say covers. the top 90 i've done about 18 so it's it going to be, be accurate if it wasn't in the top 90 that's a problem and it was only your 18th it would be maybe i've done 20 strange. some i should look at that that'd be interesting that'd well, be there's, interesting. there's all the ones that you design and then throw out because they're bad so then maybe it is oh, in the yeah, top 90 be, yeah no i love this cover so I how can kids cool. get a hold of this book oh uh they'll go to circeinstitute.org slash store and in there there's a category for books you click in there it's the very first book because it's on pre-order and you'll see it it's on sale like and it's a uh, like four dollars off because it's a pre-order product and if you don't know how to spell all those letters that Graham just said there, CerseiInstitute.org. It's in the link. Click it. In the show You know what else is in the show notes that some kids were hip to last week? A chocolate chip cookie recipe? No. There's a link in there that led them to what seems to be something something resembling a Withywindle website of sorts. Yes. Um, Yes. And I saw... Withywindle.substack.com. Yeah. Substack. Yeah. Withywindle.substack.com. That's right. There's a newsletter. At, there's information on who we are. There's a picture of us. There's yep. <laughs> there's a place where... What we're going to do. So you, it's where we post the episode. So you can leave a comment on the episode if yes. you want. Okay. So yeah, you're hitting Hold on more. the cool stuff now. We're also going to have all kinds of cool... We're going to post the winners of different contests that we do. When people send us drawings, we'll put them on there. 
Uh, we're going to do bonus content based on authors. Yeah, we might have some authors just like jump on there and um, maybe they'll answer some bonus questions that you guys had that we didn't get to the, the show. But the cool thing is you put your email in. Yep. It signs you up to our newsletter. We're not going to send out a lot of emails to you or your parents. Um, but when there's something interesting or like when a season's coming up mm -hmm. and we say, oh, we have these five authors lined up already. We know who they are. Do you have questions for them? I mean, you start getting those things in advance instead of like... And then we have uh, some ideas for some things that we can do between seasons. So... It could be very interesting. We'll yeah. see where it goes. So head over there, put your email address in. And even if you don't want to put your email address in, you can still just look at the page yeah, and access the content. You just click a there. button that says no thanks. It's not... Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. You, you wander around. Right now, you can just go and you'll see... Um, You'll just see episodes right now, but eventually there'll be more content and stuff. But but put your email in if you're allowed to do such things. Or if you want to put your parents' email in if yeah. a parent is willing to do that. Or your brothers. So Or just someone you don't like. Um, <laughs> you can put them through the ringer. So again, in the show notes, you can get that King Arthur book and yes. you can also find the link to sign up for withywindle.substack.com. I think yeah. that brings us to a very important segment to, to the kids for some unknown and inconceivable reason. Do you know what segment that is? Snack time. Snack time. What did you, you have, you brought the snacks again. I did kind of. Yes, you're correct. I did bring them here. You brought them to the, to the to studio. The, to the studio, but I did not, um, I did not buy these ones. So, um, uh, we have a friend, uh, of the show. Uh, his name is Matt and he brought us a box inside of that box are an assortment of snacks of different of different levels right now, I'd okay. say, of like um, already being eaten. And that is because... <laughs> You've been eating them? Well, I have. So have my children. They've been at our house for weeks, but I made sure to leave enough so that I for can... snack time. But there's a theme. Oh, okay. Uh, they're all from a certain store. We don't do a lot of buzz marketing. That's a joke. We, we, we do, do it all the time. <laughs> they're all from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Uh, so the whole point of snack time is that people are making money off of us talking about them and then not giving us any of it. All right. And he said, uh, there's some sour things. There's some cookie things. There's some spicy things. Okay. There's some licorice things. So those are all for you. Those are the sour. Read what that sour is. Sour jelly beans, a colorful, sweet, and tart, chewy candy. You know, if I was a betting man, I'd bet this is a trick by you. Uh, it is not. I haven't had any of those because I won't like them, but my kids found them and ate almost all of them. So all of the rest of those are for you. So you're not a sour guy. I mean, you're a sour uh, guy, but you don't like sour yeah, things. Not, it depends. Oh, these are delicious. Oh, my word. This is the best. So, I'm so glad I started with this. I like Sour Patch Kids. That's about it. This is like the next level up. This is more sour than Sour Patch Kids. Oh, and he also sent us some jokes. So let's just do bonus joke time while you eat what, these really? snacks. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, I'm going to have some licorice now. There's a few pieces of licorice. This is all you. Okay. All right. Here's the joke. Uh, how do you stop someone swinging on a tire swing? Uh, put the tire on a car. Cut the rope. Nefarious. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, what do stars and teeth have in common? What? They both turn into black holes. <laughs> that hits a little too close to home. I know, uh, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're the one eating uh, licorice right now. Uh, oh, here. Okay. How's this, your tooth hole? <laughs> we'll take a we'll take a uh, a break from a joke. These are their versions of Oreos called. Oh my gosh. 
Joe's. Are you an Oreos guy? I can't yeah. remember. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you like all the Oreo varieties? Jojo's. Are you a double No, stuff? we talked about this in one of the um, I know, question but, you know, I loses, and it was, let me think. I, we, we, we threw a lot of shade at the thin Oreos or whatever they're called. What, are, what were those ones? Thin. thin they're just like nonsense. Sorry. They're nonsense Oreos. Are you a double? Like, do yeah, you like the on. lemon ones? What's the lemon? Yeah. Oh, with the with the tan cookie? No, that's vanilla. Like oh. the ones that actually have lemon. Hold on. Chocolate with lemon? Uh, I don't know. I don't think they're chocolate, but maybe they have that. There's also, I've also seen key lime. And then there's these with the chocolate cookie and then the chocolate inside. Oh, yeah. Double cho- yeah. double like fudge. I just like the original one with double mm-hmm. stuff. That's my favorite. That's I think that's the best. And then I like the mint also. Um, you know, Trader Joe's solid imitation. Trader Joe's just solid all around. This is free advertising for them, and I'm good with it because they know how to make snack food. I apologize for crunching into the microphone, but uh, you have any more jokes? One more joke. Okay. Um, how does the white-tailed deer jump higher than the average house? How? Due to their powerful hind legs and the fact that the average house can't jump. <laughs> so, Matt, thank you very much. We're, we're enjoying this. His name uh, is Matt. Yeah, and this is my favorite out Matt. of all of them. Well, <laughs> hold on, hold on. This is for Matt. I'm just doing the clapping so that Logan doesn't have to insert a. You know, what? insert one anyway, Logan. All right, last snack. Okay, rolled corn tortilla chips, chili and lime flavored. Do you think Matt's last name is Trader? Oh, you think maybe his dad is is Joe Trader? Matt Joe. I imagine that Trader Joe's, that's his first name. First name. So these are a tortilla chip that's been rolled up, and they're very flavorful, like a punch of flavor. This is the one that I was snacking on. I accept this as a delicious thing. All right. Good. So that's snack time. Wow. Great job, Matt. Um, I'm going to have to take a break because I'm going to need to eat these things and then clear out my teeth so that I don't get black holes in them. So we're going to take a break, and then when... We come back. We're gonna do some uh, lazy words. Okay, we are back, and I, you know, I can't promise that I'm not gonna um, keep snacking because these Trader Joe's snacks are delicious, Matt. Uh, but but it's time for lazy words. Take it away, Graham. Okay, so you'll recall um, last week, we, we threw out into the universe that microwave seemed like a pretty lazy word. Yeah, did the kids agree? They did, yes. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to read as many, I think, as last season. I'm just going to try to go faster. I just picked a few Well, because we're trying to make this episode 12 minutes. 12 minutes so. long. Yeah, I think... Well, we'll get there. All right. So, uh, Otis, he suggested... We're well past 12. He suggested a uh, microwave should be called Grape Exploder, which <laughs> makes me think he's had some experience. Yeah, yeah that seems like a... Spe- certain fruit. A specific thing. <laughs> uh, Molly suggested superheat, like that. Okay. Yep. And Annie, who is five years old, said it should be called hair don't question a five-year-old. No, I, never. It's pre- I mean, honestly, it's better than just calling it what it is. Yeah, and then Sarah, uh, who's their mother, says, "Abracadinner." 
Uh, Owen uh, thinks it should be called Mitcher Confall, which I was going to look that up to see, like, I bet there's a joke in there. I don't know it. Yeah. You'll have to figure that out, listener. Um, Isaac says, fry box, hot box, cook box, or box box. <laughs> like, I like all of these. Box box. Um, and then Tiana, this one might be my favorite. At least it's up there. Rumble warmer. <laughs> Because rumble is like the noise it makes. Yeah, it's true. a good word. That's uh, very true. Okay, so this week, yes, lazy word. Yes, um, one good job, of everybody. your uh, favorite things. Yeah, at the bookstore, at home. Oh, my favorite things. Uh, just probably everybody's. Okay, um, is looking out that window and seeing a uniformed man with a satchel uh, who's walking. A mailman. That is who it is. The man who brings the mail? The mailman. Yep. Puts uh, the mail in your uh, mailbox. Yep. Uh, and so so, so I'm, I, I was thinking of microwave, and I was thinking of the box. It's like, what else box? What else do we, what, what other oh, kind mailbox. of box do we just, yeah, it's, it's wrong. Mailman, first of all, come on. That seems rude. Do you have a personal relationship with your mailman? I, at times in my life, yes. Currently, no. Hmm. We don't speak. So you and Gerald aren't friends? No. Well, he, we don't have the same mailman, do we? Oh, I just know I don't know. You, I never I see him. I know who yours is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know all the districts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gerald. Harold. Oh, yeah. I've heard about Harold. Burl. <laughs> Burl. Uh, so, so mailman, that that seems like we should, like, a, post, a postier. Like, give him something. Yes. The mailman. And then puts it in the mailbox. You can't even call that something. We need new yeah, names. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need a new name for mailman and a new name for mailbox. Give that guy... the Make him sound as cool as possible because he does a cool thing. He delivers you uh, words from another land. Or, <laughs> or a bill. Your new shoes. Or a check from your grandma. Yeah. Or your Christmas presents, the ones that didn't come from Santa. That's right. Uh, or a piece of junk. All right. Is Mailman. For kindling. Mailbox. The, 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 yeah, that's, that's a, that, this is a very good one. Kids, write us in with your suggestion to rename those things at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Or leave us a comment on withywindle.substack.com on this episode. Oh, that's a good idea. Just write it there and then you can see other people's as well. So the, we're going to share some of them, but then this is a great place for other people to see yours and you to see other people's if you want to do it there. So you can email us or you can do it in the in the comment on the withywindle.substack.com. Again, the link is in the show notes. Graham, mailman, mailbox. Yeah. Excellent choice. Thank Excellent you. Excellent work saving the world. Or at least setting the kids up to save the world. We'll do it together. Identifying the problem that the kids need to solve. It's the first step. Right. You got to know, know what your issues are before you can, before you can solve them. Well, that was another uh, segment uh, where Graham was doing good work. Just doing good work for the universe. That was, uh, that was lazy words. Up next, story time! It's time for story time. Oh, Graham, no. I'm bringing you a story this no, what is not time for story time? Uh, because you neglected to look at the sheet where we it says right there we have another uh, sponsor for this episode. 
Oh, really? Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. What is that noise? Let me start with two seemingly unrelated facts. All right, David, did you know that a recent survey conducted across all generations, inter- intergenerational survey. Since the beginning of the world? You know, boomers, millennials, Gen X, oh, okay. Gen Z. like living yeah, ones those, right those now. Ones, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, the survey found out that people's least favorite activity is making scrambled eggs. Okay. Even though people love scrambled eggs, it's just so incredibly time-consuming and incredibly difficult to like make them. You scrambled eggs, do you? I love scrambled eggs. Oh, okay. Fact number two. Okay. Did you also know there are 120 bones in a chicken, and not one of them is a funny bone? I I know this because I recently did stand-up in Iowa, stand-up comedy. The chickens, the response was very icy. Uh, anyway, uh, making chickens some of the saddest animals on the planet until now. What if I told you there is a way to make scrambled eggs while giving chickens... An experience unlike anything they've ever had before. A chance to truly live. While you're scrambling them? Introducing the Coop de Loop. It's a roller coaster for chickens. <laughs> Once you order your Coop de Loop, you'll be asking yourself how, what, and why. <laughs> Simply assemble the coaster pieces that we expertly ship to you, and the uh, Coupe de Loop will fit up to 20 chickens in two separate coaster carriages. Tiny aviator goggles are provided for each bird, okay. so make sure to put those on before you buckle them in. Okay. Uh, the coaster goes from 0 to 60 uh, miles an hour in a flash, taking your terrified, I mean, exhilarated chickens through a series of twists and turns and, of course, loops. Logan, I'd love to get a little bit of a sense of what a chicken sounds like when riding a roller coaster. Okay, so we got twists, we got turns, we got loops, and then part of this roller coaster they call the Scrambler is the last half of the roller coaster where they go through barrel rolls, corkscrews, and then a five-loop sequence. (sighs) And uh, finishing touch, we we guarantee after your chickens have experienced the Coupe de Loop, they will no longer be laying boring, normal eggs, but perfectly fluffy scrambled ones from here on out. And now you might be saying... You guarantee it? You might be saying, this seems like... An extremely large amount of work, and scrambled eggs aren't even that hard to make, and your survey data seems suspicious, and this roller coaster takes up my whole backyard, and I can't even ride in it, only chickens can? Yeah, and to I that, was literally thinking all those things. And to that, we say... <laughs> some assembly required, average time of assembly, three to four weeks, not legal in most states. What's the product called again? The Coop de Loop. Well, thank you so much to the Coop de Loop for sponsoring this show and, and making this episode possible. You know, I love it when I haven't even heard of a product, and the next thing I know, they're helping make our podcast possible. I know, and 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 it's nice when you don't think you have a problem, and then a product tells you you have a problem, and now you're anxious. Well, that's what products are. That's what advertising is you for. Need your, I, now that I think about it, scrambling an egg, it takes like 30 seconds. I'd rather spend three to four weeks assembling a chicken coaster. Listen, I didn't know that I had the problem that I needed rolled corn tortilla chips flavored like chili and lime until you set them in front of me, and then I realized I had that problem and I had to eat them. But then Matt saved the day. So it's the same situation It's the same here. thing, yeah. Right, it's the same concept. So thank you so much to them for, uh, for, for the coop de loop Yeah, they didn't even put a call to action. They don't even say where to go to buy well, it. Do you know where to go to buy I it? I don't, no. 
I don't. Well, maybe they'll maybe they'll write us back in at some point. Right, but. That would be that would be great if Cooped Loop could let us know how people can get their Cooped Loop. Well, they didn't actually pay us. Uh, they're just going to send us a free Cooped Loop. Um, oh. So we'll try it out on our chickens. Well, we'll try it out and then we'll let everyone know how it works. Can you so. picture twenty chickens in a roller coaster with little goggles? Cl- vividly having the time of their lives, having the time of their life. Well, that last part, I've, I can imagine that bit, that bit a little bit less clearly, but otherwise, very vividly. Hey, speaking of vivid, this week's story is called The Tale of Custard the Dragon. Have you ever heard this? No. So it's by Ogden Nash, and oh. it's a little bit unusual because, now hear me out on this, it's not written in prose. Mm-hmm. So it's an amateur. <laughs> right. It, this, is an, this is an amateur story. This is not story. a pro. Okay. That means that it is, technically speaking... A rhyme? A poem. Oh, a poem. By Ogden Nash. The Tale of Custer the Dragon. Are you ready to hear it? I can't wait. Okay. Belinda lived in a little white house with a little black kitten and a little gray mouse and a little yellow dog and a little red wagon and a really trulio little pet dragon. Now, the name of the little black kitten was Ink and the little gray mouse. She called her Blink. And the little yellow dog was sharp as mustard, but the dragon was a coward, and she called him Custard. Mm. Custard the dragon had big, sharp teeth and spikes on top of him and, well, scales underneath. Mouth like a fireplace, chimney for a nose, and Relio Trulio daggers on his toes. Belinda was as brave as a barrel full of bears, and Ink and Blink (laughs) chased lions down the stairs. Mustard was as brave as a tiger in a rage, but Custard... Cried for a nice, safe cage. I like Barrel Full of Bears. That sounds like a company. Barrel Full of Bears? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should see if they'll advertise. Like Barrel of Monkeys, but it's bears. Barrel Full of Bears, yeah. So Custard cried for a nice, safe cage. Belinda tickled him. She tickled him on Merciful. Ink, Blink, and Mustard, they rudely called him Percival. They all sat laughing in the little red wagon at the Relio Trulio Cowardly Dragon. Poor Custard. Well, you know, don't be a coward. Belinda giggled till she shook the house, and Blink said, Weak! Which is giggling for a mouse. Ink <laughs> and Mustard rudely asked his age when Custard cried for a nice, safe cage. Suddenly, suddenly, they heard a nasty sound, and Mustard growled, and they all looked around. Meow! cried Ink, and ooh! cried Belinda, for there was a pirate climbing in the window. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did, what did Ink cry? Meowk, meowk. Yep. And oh, cried like Belinda. meow and and milk combined. Meow and ouch combined is kind of what it looks like. Meow. Okay. M e o w c h. Meowk. Cried Ink and <laughs> oh, cried Belinda. For there was a pirate climbing on the window. Pistol in his left hand, pistol in his right, and he held in his teeth a cutlass bright. Hmm. His beard was black. One leg was wood. It was clear that the pirate meant no good. Belinda paled, and she cried, Help! Help! But Mustard fled with a terrified yelp. Ink trickled down to the bottom of the household, and Little Mouse blinked strategically, mousehold. <laughs> but ump, but up, jumped Custard, snorting like an engine, clashed his tail like irons in a dungeon. With a clatter and a clank and a jangling squirm, he went at the pirate like a robin at a worm. The pirate gaped at Belinda's dragon and gulped some grog from his pocket flagon, he fired two bullets, but they didn't hit. And Custard gobbled him every bit. <clears throat> Whoa, that escalated. <laughs> I know, right? Belinda embraced him 
as one does. Mustard licked him. No one mourned for his pirate victim. <laughs> Aiken blinking glee did gyrate around the dragon that ate the pirate. But presently, up spoke little dog Mustard. I, I'd have been twice as brave if I hadn't been flustered. Oh. And up spoke Ink and up spoke Blink. We, we'd have been three times as brave, we think. And Custard said, oh, I quite agree that everybody is braver than me. <laughs> Belinda still lives in her little white house with her little black kitten and her little gray mouse and her little yellow dog and her little red wagon and her really oh, truly oh, little pet dragon. Belinda is as brave as a barrel full of bears and Ink and Blink chase lions down the stairs. Mustard is as brave as a tiger in a rage. But Custard keeps crying for a nice, safe cage. The end. Very good. A little, little shorter than That's a some fun of the other one. ones. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I'm looking up Ogden as a name. Yeah, you thinking about he's the only that? He's the only Ogden I know. Do you know any other Ogdens? Um, Not that I know Ogden Nash personally. Um <laughs> I think, I, uh, I think he's been no longer with us for about 50 years. Uh, Ogden, I don't think I know any other. Ogden, Utah. Uh, so Ogden is the 13,395th most popular last name. There's no <laughs> metrics for even what it would be as a first name. Which is fascinating because he was, you know, there's not another person out there that was named after Mr. Nash. Um, there must be, um, but it's an old English. It comes from the old English meaning Oak Valley, mm. which is really nice. That is, that is very nice. Oak Valley. It's a tree name. Which is you, you something that's uh, near and dear to your heart. People with tree yeah, names. Yeah, well, I've got that tree growing in my chest. So, yes, it's getting closer to my heart. We're yeah. hopeful it won't yeah. penetrate. Yeah, that would be uh, not... Ideal, I guess, is what I'm thinking here. Hey, well, <laughs> we that, never know. That was story time. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's going to be time to introduce you to this week's guest, Mr. John Clausen. All right, we are back. It's time to take you to our conversation with the one and the only Mr. John Clausen. First, though, we need to tell you about our other sponsor, which is a book called Out of the Shadow World, and it's by Colleen Chow. It's about a 10-year-old named Pax Jackson who is sick, and he's about to embark on an unforgettable adventure. At their favorite climbing tree, Pax and his best friend Janie meet Wilmer, a comical bellbird who introduces them to a magical realm of delightful and bewitching creatures. They sail a vast sea, navigate a frightening forest, and summit a perilous mountain in search of a mysterious man who might be able to heal Pax. Will they be thwarted by a malevolent weeping willow, a horde of bumfuzzles, or the dragon snake? The kids face their fears and the lurking evil that threatens to destroy them, and also contend with their own inner struggles. Will the mysterious healer meet their dreams and expectations? Pax and Janie return to their world with newfound joy and hope and a keen awareness of the very real magical world that lies within their shadow world. It is a uh, story that is masterfully weaved by Colleen Chow. 
even as it's a tale that has some suffering and also some joy, uh, children will be captivated. And uh, we think that you should check this book out. It releases on May 2nd, so it's in pre-order now as well. It's for ages 8 through 12. And if you'd like to check this out, you can click the link in the show notes uh, below the description of this episode. But it's available from Moody Publishers. Just go to moodypublishers.com and search for Out of the Shadow World. That's one way you can get it as well. In the first season of Withy Wendell. Yes. And like the second episode, Mm -hmm. we were saying, you know, if people want to sponsor our podcast, we we would like that. Mm -hmm. And then I did a fake ad and I said, Withy Wendell sponsored by books. (laughs) And now in season five, we're sponsored by books. Books. Two books. Two books. Look at that. (laughs) And 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 a chicken coaster. Before long, we're going to be sponsored by actual garages. <laughs> Call back to an older episode for those of you who might remember. All right, Graham. Hey, our conversation this week is with Mr. John Clausen. I've been calling him Mr. John Clausen because I think it sounds cool. He is a Canadian writer and illustrator of children's books. He also is an animator. He won the American Caldecott Medal and also the British Kate Greenaway Medal for children's book illustration. Mm-hmm. He he's most known for a book called "This Is Not My Hat," which is a picture <laughs> book that he also illustrated. Uh, he wrote and illustrated, as I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, that is a companion to a book called "I Want My Hat Back." So, and we talk. You're going to see he's a big hat guy. There's a third hat book too. Yeah, well, um, I think it's called "We Found a Hat." We found a hat, and then yep. he did the shapes books: circle shape, or right. circle, square, and triangle. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. The rock that fell from the sky. He he. Just give him all the awards. He deserves them all. <laughs> His books are And he also delightful. gets the award of coming on, on this episode of, of Withy Wendell. He also has done stuff with Mac Barnett. So he illustrated um, Sam and Dave Dig a Hole, uh, Good book. The Wolf, The Duck, and The Mouse, The Three Billy Goats Gruff, which came out last year. And then he has also done the covers, the original covers, as we talked about on this episode, I think, for The Incorrigible Children of Ashton Place by Mary Rose Wood, who was an author that came on earlier on a previous season. So you'll, you'll recognize a lot of his work. Yeah, he did the covers for PAX. PAX, yeah. Skunk and Badger, so much great stuff. He's yeah, a really yeah. great. Uh, and, we, and we talked about his style and what motivates him and, of course, snacks. So um, we had a great time talking to him. And would you want to add anything else? Or? I'm just thinking about the, um, that great cover he did of uh, Blowing in the Wind, you know, on his acoustic guitar he did for us. The Bob Dylan cover? Are you... The cover song? I think you might be thinking of a different kind of cover. Yeah, that's right. He he doesn't... He doesn't cover... We don't know if he covers Bob Dylan songs. We don't know if he has a a pseudonym and he goes out to his local dive. He he, plays Bob Dylan songs in a basement. He illustrates. He makes pictures on covers. Uh, One of the things... in books. So I was telling Rowan um, about Mac Barnett... Mm -hmm. Because I was like, yeah, Mac Barnett also writes some of these stuff. And he's like, oh, I know Mac Barnett. He wrote The Terrible Two. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I forgot about that. So those are some books that, that Rowan really likes, my son really likes. That has nothing to do with Bob Dylan. I moved on pretty quick. Yeah, it got ne- confusing. Neither is this conversation, actually. Oh, the conversation is John Clausen. Just to be clear, John Clausen, who is in his 30s, is not Bob Dylan. Also, most of the kids listening don't know who Bob Dylan is. Oh, you know would. what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the conversation with John Clausen. <laughs> John Clausen, thank you so much for coming on with you, Wendell. We are honored to have you here and we uh, are excited to, to chat. I am very excited to chat also. Thank you for having me. So the kids sent in a lot of questions. <laughs> and we're going to get to those. And then we'll have some of our own questions, of course. But 
As everybody who listens to this show knows, we begin with the same question for every guest. It's, as we say, the most important question that you are going to hear on this show. Are you ready for the most important question, John? Probably. Okay. Uh, (laughs) John, Cheetos or Doritos? Doritos. Oh, that was fast. You knew mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we have to get more specific than that. We're, like, there's specific Doritos, right? Right. Right. So, which ones? We were in a gas station yesterday. We were driving back from a road trip. We took to the kids to see some snow in the mountains, mm-hmm. and we had just had breakfast, a big breakfast, and we were paying for gas. But the kids had come in because they wanted to see the gas station. And my three-year-old came up and he said, "Daddy, you're going to want to buy something." And I said, "What?" <laughs> and they said, "They have sweet and spicy chili Doritos." Mm. And these are a purple bag. You don't see them around as often. I don't know what Doritos' whole sort of strategy is with sweet and spicy chili. I can't remember if that's exact name. But when you see them, you have to get them because they're very scarce. And once you you don't even have to be hungry. You just (laughs) open the bag and they will just disappear into your body. I don't know what the deal is, but those are my Mm. favorite. If I couldn't have those, it'd be Cool Ranch. I'm a Cool Ranch man. Hmm. So, uh, John, I've been on the sweet and spicy train for a couple of years and I've been trying to onboard people. Um, really? This specific I, 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 Dorito flavor? Yeah. So we just bought, wow. two days ago, we bought a family bag of sweet <laughs> and spicy and it is gone. Um, no, it doesn't It doesn't matter the size. Of, if you open it, it, it won't last an hour. It, I don't know. It just evaporates. Everything else takes work to eat, but those particular Doritos, they just, you don't even know what happened. The Doritos magic. Yeah. So are you, uh, generally speaking, more of a into sweet food or savory food? Depends on the day, I suppose. It's it's probably, uh, probably if I had to, if it would tip on savory, but barely. Okay. So are you a big yeah. snacker while you're making art? I try not to be because that can really, really turn out badly after a few years of doing that. Um, <laughs> but I, I am, yeah. And I was, especially early on before like, you start to recognize its effects. <laughs> but like having kids around though, all they like is snacks. They don't enjoy meals. They like snacks. Right, and so our snack intake has gone way up. Yeah. Well, we have a segment uh, that the kids were just listening to on this show that's called Snack Time. And mm-hmm. listeners have been sending us snacks. So, you know, yeah, uh, right. we're right there it's, with you. It's pretty much the only thing David and I have co- in common anymore. So we have to gather around the snack table. Well, I make these things called snack bowls for our guys. They're like three and six and they just sit around, you know, watching cartoons and stuff. And so they're like, we want snack bowls. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I brought this on myself. I did it. But <laughs> it's basically those, like those plastic bowls. And instead of one snack, it's like four snacks in a bowl. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. It certainly keeps them busy for like 20 minutes, <laughs> but it's usually, it's usually like a bag of, like a small bag of chips, plus like three cookies, plus like, a thing of like it's just whatever we have in the drawer just combined into one thing that will just calm everybody down for a while. But I can't imagine what it's doing to them calorically. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, this life is full of trade-offs. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, kids need energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they certainly expel it. So it's, yeah, <laughs> by the end of the day, it's a, it's it's a, we're at least square. I think that's true. John, coffee or tea? Oh, you know, until we had kids, I was straight on tea. I never liked coffee. I never messed with it. And then we had kids and now I drink like two or three cups of coffee a day. I still have tea when I feel like I've just put too much coffee in myself just for nostalgia. (laughs) Um, And also I've been back on tea lately in a really weird way because I read this short story by uh, Shirley Jackson, who's a very short, very famous short story writer. It's not her famous story that she's written. It was one called The Nightmare about a lady who works in New York 
as a secretary and her boss has sent her out to deliver a package and she's walking down the street with the package and there are posters everywhere saying have you seen this woman you will win a prize if you've seen this woman and it describes her even down to her carrying the package and she's really freaked out and so she stops into a diner to get out of the street so she's not accosted by everybody in new york and she orders a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich and a cup of tea. And when I read that, I thought that sounds like the most amazing lunch I've ever heard of in my life. And so now I just recreate it whenever I'm anywhere where you can order food. Uh, oh. But hmm. but John, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure the woman in that story is having an active mental breakdown. <laughs> um, That's, I mean, so, yes, most of Shirley Jackson's stories. Did you stop as you got to the food and just thought, this is delightful? I was, I, I was able to isolate the lunch from her, her psychotic episode and think, you know what, whether or not we're all in in the middle of some sort of psychotic That's true. episode. Yeah, so, maybe so the tea was. You may the as one well have could... a nice counter yeah. lunch while you're at it. <laughs> all right, so John, point. Uh, I always have to <laughs> spin us away from David's food um, I- inquisition. Hey, no, 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 no. The kids. Those are those are questions from the kids, Graham. Come on. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> David's writing a book about authors and their food. It yeah, like. right. Um, <laughs> all right, so John, uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about your work. Um, and you can take this a couple different ways. You could maybe tell us about the, you know, one or two latest things you've been working on in detail, or maybe you want to just kind of give us an overview of, of the type of things, the type of stories you like to tell and, um, how you like to illustrate them. I can talk Well, the latest thing isn't out yet. It will be out in July of this year, but it is a little different and it's fun to talk about because it is a little different than what I've been doing the last few years. Usually I make picture books um, and picture books are for a very broad range of people. When you, you have a picture book and you do an event for it, like at a library or a school or something, people will bring babies to that event, like newborn babies. And they will also bring like, you know, second or third graders to that. And so picture books have to be really broad in in what you're trying to do. You have to try and grab everybody like that as best you can. Um, but the latest book I have out in July is called The Skull. And it's mm. 115 pages. And it's a little bit smaller in its size. And it's sort of like an early reader. It's not technically an early reader, but that's kind of what I was trying for. Um, and it's a scary-ish story. I don't think it's too scary, but it's certainly, it's moody. And it's got some scary parts in it. And that was really fun. And the other different part about it was that I didn't write the story from scratch. It was an old folktale that I found. Um, I read it in a library while I was doing an event in Alaska. And then I put the book back on the shelf and I went home. And I just thought about the story for like a year. And then I finally thought I should probably read that story again. And so I wrote the library in Alaska to ask if they could find this book for me. And they did. And I read it again, and I didn't remember how it ended. I had changed the ending in the year or so that I'd been thinking about it pretty drastically. But since it was a folktale, and I found a couple different versions of it, folktales a lot of times have a few different versions of them out there, and no one really knows who wrote the original one. They're always very cloudy that way. Because of that, I thought I could keep my ending that I had sort of accidentally imagined up. And that's the book that's coming out in July. It sounds wonderful. It looks wonderful. Is that um, is that available for like pre-order already? Or I think that it is. It? I think it's up for pre-order. That's a, a good yeah. question, but I imagine that it is. They usually just start that pretty early on. And if it's not, it will be pretty soon. So, John, uh, when did you know you wanted to be a writer or an illustrator? And which of those came first? I don't know. The technical sort of... I wanted to be in animation first from very early 
I wanted to be in animation. When we were kids, the collective we, uh, Disney was sort of <laughs> finding their footing again. Um, I remember the first one of the first movies I saw in the theater was they, they played the Jungle Book. I think they were playing it again out in theaters. But then the first big movie when we were kids to come out was The Little Mermaid. It went everywhere and everybody had that movie at home and we all watched it. And and then Aladdin or, and then Beauty and the Beast. I can't remember the order, but it was all these huge movies. And because of that, you would see footage of people working at desks at, at the Disney studios, drawing these characters and animating. And I always wanted a job. I never... As much as I like drawing always, I never wanted to be like an artist where you, you know, hung out in your apartment and did whatever you felt like every morning. I always really wanted to get in a car and go to a building and have a job. Just And so those two things together were animation. And I went to school for animation and found out almost right away that I was a terrible <laughs> animator and I didn't like it at all. Um, but I worked at studios making sets and props, like drawing sets and props for the movies anyway, until... I heard from somebody, I made a student film in college, and I heard from an art director like a few years later who had seen my student film online and asked if I wanted to try and make a book out of it. And I tried, and it didn't work, but she kept me sort of in mind. And then a couple of years after that, asked if I wanted to illustrate a manuscript that had come in. And I tried that in the evenings while I was still working at the studios, and I loved it. And it fit so many of my things that I hadn't been realizing I hadn't been liking about working in animation fit books so well. And so I didn't really think it was a job that people could have. I thought that you were sort of, if you lived in a farm in Connecticut or something, you could have, you could be do picture books. I didn't know regular people could get into this still. And so almost after I had the job, I realized it was a job um, doing books specifically. And then writing came later because I was an illustrator first, but I wanted to do it all the time. And I had an agent by then and the agent said, you know, to make it work. You kind of have to write your own sometimes too. So you should give that a try. And I'd liked writing before, but I never thought I was good at it professionally or anything. And so um, it was very encouraging to try it and, and enjoy it. And so it was sort of a reverse thing. I don't think I ever realized I wanted to do those things for jobs. I just knew I liked doing them. Hmm. There's a question here from Jenica, who is interested in hearing about how you, like what your process looks like, but also how would you describe your style? So maybe let's 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 think about that second part there. How would you describe your your style, like maybe in a couple words or a couple sentences? Because you could probably talk about that for days. Yeah, well, it's a weird thing for someone to talk about your own style because you don't really know what it is when you're inside yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's trying to do as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it is. It's trying to get permission to do as little as possible. That makes more sense. So it's still a good book, but I don't want to do too much stuff. Like you don't want to have too many elements involved in it, or you just want to be lazy? No, I don't want to be lazy. <laughs> a little bit, I think. That's always the question in your mind, is am I just lazy or am I a minimalist or something yeah. like that? You yeah. always wonder back and forth. But I think that I don't like too much stuff going on visually on the page, mm. but I yeah. still like there to be something going on in your brain when you're looking mm -hmm. at that, not that much. So two characters standing around looking at one another isn't very exciting, but I like to draw that. Mm -hmm. But if they're not thinking about anything or feeling anything, that's too boring. And so if two characters can stand on a page looking at each other, but they're both really going through something, emotionally in the story that you've set up that's my favorite mm. when there's not much going on visually but there's a lot going on in their minds mm. so, so i did you oh go ahead well i was just gonna say did you have books that like as a kid were the inspiration for this style this sort of minimalist style that you love or what I don't were think your favorite I knew books that as a kid were. i think yeah i well 
as a kid, as a kid, I liked P.D. Eastman a lot. Like as oh, a yeah. young kid, yeah, she yeah. did like Go Dog Go and Sam and the Firefly and stuff. Um, I think that more of my influence that I can trace to sort of my making things is a little later um, when I started getting into comics a little bit. Like mm. I, I just this week had to pick out some books that sort of influenced me and I picked up the far side, the Gary Larson stuff. And I think that was huge when I read, I had all of his books and looking at the way, not so much the way he draws, but what he doesn't show. So often Gary Larson in his comics, he doesn't even show facial expressions. He People wear glasses so you can't see their eyes or they don't, or they don't even have eyes sometimes. And he makes sure that you can't really see what they're feeling. And he, the way he draws them, they're sort of inflated and big. And so they, they can't do much with their bodies. And they're just sort of looking at what's happened in front of them. A piano has fallen on someone or something's happened and they're not even moving. They're just standing there looking at it. But it's always so much funnier and better because he doesn't make them show anything. Hmm. And he's chosen the right moment is the other big thing is that when you're illustrating a story, you have to choose the moment to draw. And that's a big choice. You could draw any moment in a story, but you have to choose the right ones hmm. to make it the most entertaining or the funniest or whatever it's supposed to be. And he was so good at choosing which moment to draw in a given situation. And when I look at his stuff now, again, I don't draw like him, I don't think, but his the way he chooses moments and the way he has his characters acting, I think was really, really big. He was one of my big ones. Hmm. Uh, so Jenica, now your turn, Graham. The, the first part of Jenica's question is the part that John dodged, which makes me very curious. Why? What, oh, what was the dodge? Why he I doesn't forgot. want to answer? Jenica, I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, she's asking about the process of your style and I uh, of creation, oh. and I think that question makes a lot of sense because I think your style is very distinctive. It's got like a lot of texture to it. Probably people look at it and they wonder, how did you do that? Is this digital? Is this what is this? Mm, yeah. I, it started out very digital because that's how I was working at the animation studios is that they have you on computers because you can edit those things much more easily than something on paper. Um, but as the years have gone by with books, I've tried to, as much as I can, not rely on the computer so much to start things. I like to start on paper with something fairly messy, but controllable. So every book is usually something a little bit different mm. uh, material-wise, just because I like to keep it, it interesting for myself. I'm really into markers right now. Um, cheap markers that make a bunch of noise when you use them, um, just like Crayola stuff. Uh, and then you scan that into the computer and the computer lets you play with the contrast. So all the little marks and scratches and blooms that markers do, not on purpose, you can bring those up and really make a lot of noise with mm. them inside your shape that you've made. And I like that. Whatever processes sort of lead me to be able to like bring up all that texture you're talking about, all the all the weird little happy accidents inside of a shape. So you draw a very simple bear, but I want a bunch of stuff happening inside the bear to make your eye sort of interested once you get closer up. Um, so I like simple shapes, but then once you get closer, a bunch of stuff is happening inside the simple shapes. That's very cool. So the uh, the marker almost like kind of like a watercolor, like it's yeah, kinda... it is like watercolor for people who can't do watercolor. I think that's that's right. <laughs> watercolor scares me too badly, and so I use markers to sort of approximate it. But also, I like markers. It reminds me of being a kid. I think that kids still like using markers, and they're easy to control because the computer is the last step. You can get colors in the computer that you don't have with markers. If you only have twelve markers, but you bring that into the computer, you have millions of colors to adjust to, and so I don't worry. I like things that don't stress me out when I'm mm. drawing. I get stressed out when I'm drawing if the if the materials are too fussy and or if I only have a certain amount of time before they dry or get wet or whatever. I, that drives me crazy. I like a very controllable 
material. And so I like graphite. I like pencils. I like markers. I like very simple, unfussy materials. And then you get into the computer and I get very fussy, but on paper, I like it to be very unfussy. So John, I know this is going to feel a little abrupt, but Elijah has two questions here (laughs) that I feel like are, are essential that we get to on this episode. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't want to, I want to just jump right to them for, for Elijah's sake. So he has two questions. One, John, has anyone ever stolen a hat from you? And two, would you support Hmm. the revival of the three-cornered hat? The revival of it? You're wearing a hat now. Well, yeah. So the first first question, yes, I've been wearing hats pretty regularly since pretty, like, I think like fourth grade, I think I was even already starting to wear them like all the time. I'm not really, I don't, I probably need some therapy about what's, what's up with my hat wearing. I've just always liked wearing one. I don't really feel good in the morning until I put one on. Mm. Um, and they would get taken off my head. I think that there is something about the hat books, especially the first one, but the other ones too, where on the one hand, there's symbols for things that you like or things that you're affectionate about that someone's taken. But on the other hand, it just means that someone got above you and took your hat. Mm. It's not a great feeling. It's, it's very demeaning and you yeah i take it very personally when it happens and so it would get taken i don't think it'd be stolen forever but when someone takes the hat off your head uh-huh. it's a pretty bold move um so that, that's happened certainly a lot um the second question what was it again exactly would you support the the uh return of the three-cornered hat? oh the three the three-corner hat yes for sure i lived with a guy for a while who wore a three-corner hat um he was an odd character, but <laughs> you don't did say. You see him in the mirror every day, every morning. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I don't think he, I think it wasn't even my hat wearing that prompted it. He showed up, he was roommates. There was a bunch of us living in a house and we needed an extra guy for the summer. And so he showed up. Um, it's just a ghost. I think his nickname even, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't even have a room. He had a bell. It was really strange. He see, we could see, walk through walls. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is an interesting question. Um, Jack wants to know, which of your books is your favorite? And Finn wants to know what your favorite piece of artwork is that you made. So maybe they're the same thing, or maybe they're different. Oh, wow. Or maybe you don't know either. My favorite book my favorite book so far is probably The Rock from the Sky. It was the last picture mm. book I made myself. And it's kind of a long one, and it's sort of weird, but I think it... I worked a long time on it and it was during COVID. And so I feel especially kind of weird and close to that book, but I also just think it feels the most like what I always wanted to make. That's my favorite picture book that I've made. My favorite piece of art that I made. That's a good question. During COVID. And when we, when our kids were very little, I was trying to do drawings. I was trying to figure out how to make anything because we were all cooped up in the house all the time. And I started making these drawings of like trees and bowls and just very simple shapes out of graphite and marker I could make them at the TV while we were all sitting together because, again, the materials weren't very fussy. I didn't need a big setup to draw them. And so I could work for hours just sort of filling in the same shape over and over again to almost make it so that you couldn't even see any brush strokes or or moves inside of it until it was just this big, dark, deep shape. And I really liked those drawings. It was the first time I had drawings that I would consider sort of putting up on my wall. Mm -hmm. Usually if you're, I don't know if anybody else is like this who does drawings, but you don't put your own stuff up in your own house. It feels kind of self-conscious and weird to do that. But when I finished the first, I finished a tree, I think, like this. And I liked it so much that I did hang it up somewhere in the house. I don't think it's there anymore. But for the minute, I was like, I like this thing enough that I'm going to put it on the wall. So that's probably a good sign that it's my one of my favorite things I've done. Just a very simple ball with a 
trunk, like just a very simple tree, but there was something about it because I couldn't see my moves inside of it. I'd been working over it so much. Something about the fact that I was sort of, I had disappeared into the thing. I really liked that about it. So Judah uh, seems concerned about something in your art. And uh, I want to address, I want to let, you know, give you a chance to address it. Um, Judah wants to know why the animals and people you draw seem not to have uh, mouths. How do Sam and Dave eat animal crackers and drink chocolate uh, without mouths? Okay, that's a great, great observation. And I think that they do have mouths. It's just that they don't open them. It's, <laughs> mm. it's, it goes back to that thing we were talking about in the in the far side, where you have to choose the moments that things happen. And my favorite thing to do is to choose moments either before or after something happens. And that includes people talking. Um, if there are, If there is dialogue on the page that says, Sam said, let's dig a hole. It would be weird to me if I chose a moment to draw where Sam had his mouth open while he was speaking. Um, the other thing I don't, I think he probably could have drawn a line for a mouth on Sam and Dave just to show where a mouth would be. But I like to limit how a character can express itself. The only way you know how Sam and Dave are feeling or any most of those books is by looking at the eyes. A mouth is very expressive, but it's one too many things for me. It's one too many ways to show how a character might be feeling. There's almost an emotional overload for me for that. If I don't draw a mouth, then you're looking at the eyes. You've got nowhere else to look to find out how your guy is doing. Hmm. And so I like as much as I can to focus the viewer on just the eyes. And that's why I don't draw mouths most of the time. Hmm. But that's a great question. I don't get a lot of people who notice the absence huh. of mouths, but it's a big deal for me. All right. Hmm. This uh, this next question is from Paige. And she wants to know if you have a particular place where you like to write and draw, do you always write on draw all of your books in the same place? I try to, but it doesn't really happen that way, especially writing. Writing is very hard for me. And so, and writing picture books is so strange because they're so short. You can work for a year on something and not like it, but then all of a sudden you're in the tub and you realize you figured it out and you have to write it right then and there or else it'll fly away. That's how I feel about it. And so I've written books standing, making mac and cheese for my kids just on my phone that I like better than things I've worked for years on. It just happens that way. Writing can happen almost anywhere. Um, for me, for picture books. I don't think you could write a novel that way, but we work in picture books and those are very short and they can mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. Um, for drawing, I like to have the same spot always. I usually have a desk set up somewhere. I had a, I had a desk in a, in a room downtown Los Angeles for about eight years, but then when COVID happened, I didn't want to be down there anymore. And so we, we have a house with a garage that I work in now and I'm slowly fixing it up, but my desk is in there. I like a good quiet room to draw in. Writing, as I say, can happen anywhere, but drawing, I, I want a quiet day for. Do you listen to music or anything while you're drawing? Yeah, not when I'm writing or anything. When I'm writing and even when I'm roughing things out, it takes so much brain that if I have music on, I find it screws me up. Mm -hmm. But as soon as all the roughs are done and it's just a matter of doing sort of nice looking drawings for three or four months, then I love having music on. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do uh, let's do one or two more here, Graham, before we toss it over to your um, very um, tricky quiz that you've prepared here for, for John. <laughs> This is a question from Audrey, which I think we're going to probably ask uh, as many guests as we can this season. So she says, if you could book wander into any classic book, such as Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, The Secret Garden, and so forth, which would you choose and why? Oh, man, that's a great question. I like the term book wander, too. Maybe you should draw a book about book wander. I wish I had more time to think about that. Yeah. Oh, man. Any book. 
I feel like that's the main reason I do. I, I'm I'm sad that I'm stumped right off the bat because I feel like that's the main reason I go back to books at all is because I like wandering around and mm-hmm. the stories are interesting, but I like yeah. a thing that sets up a good book wander feeling more. Um, do you think you'd be more likely like the to the PD Eastman book? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, do you more likely to to dive into like a fantasy world or something that's more realistic? Um, probably something fantasy. I was about to say a picture book, like something very simple. Mm. The the P.D. Eastman book, Sam and the Firefly, was always one of my favorites when I was a kid. And I think I've realized that that's just because I like the mood in that book so much. It's very soft. The whole book takes place at night. And it's just a very soft feeling. You feel like you're up all night in a very beautiful moonlit night with that book. Um, it's very simple. And it's not about world building or you know anything like that. But I just remember wanting to go back in there all the time. Um, later on, it would probably be... I read a lot of Hardy Boys when I oh, did yeah. finally learn how to read, my dad had all of those. And that world was so great too, that sort of that mid fifties, 1950s kids in high school with motorcycles going around to cabins in the woods and climbing up <laughs> sea cliffs and stuff. I, yeah. that, that's pretty good. It's not, there aren't very descriptive books, but you get a mood certainly. So maybe those. Yeah, true. Which P.D. Eastman book did you say that was that you would go into? Sam and the Firefly. It's his that's first right. book he ever did. I think, I think that's correct. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's very pretty. If you can find an old printing of it on eBay or something, they're usually pretty cheap and they're better than the newer printings that are too bright. They change the color on them a little bit. Mm. Yeah, they're all okay. like different different shades of blue. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. The old ones are more of a greenish, grayish blue and the new ones, they're just like, well, kids won't like that. Let's make it super bright. And so they did that, but <laughs> the old ones are better. Um, I find in selling books in our shop that kids don't actually gravitate towards the ones that are bright. Oh, that's great news. I, I have to fight it's that battle all for the you. time because for some reason, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's my fault. I My eyes are so sensitive to color for some reason. I think I've turned it way up and I hand it in and they're like, well, it's mostly gray. And I'm like, I used the brightest color pink I could find. And I, I just, my eye won't <laughs> let me do it. I For some reason, I'm just way too sensitive. Yeah, no, I mean, I find that they'll gravitate towards, um, like when a parent or a grandparent gets the books, there's a lot of color, especially yeah, like in board books and stuff. that's my theory too, which is, I mean... It's probably just as important because, you know, how often are kids buying their own books? But as far as what they pick up, my theory is that they like contrast at least yeah. as much as color. So yeah. like you're talking about dark and light, that I try for and you try to make it interesting. But color wise, I feel like contrast and color are hopefully at least just as important to a kid. But I go for contrast because I can understand that better than color. Mm. I find a lot of kids go for like, um, like when I see kids bring books up to the counter and stuff, they're bringing a lot of like natural colors, like like earth tones and they like books with trees and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, this is it's, all it's very good news from, for me and my bank account. I like this very much. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, <laughs> I, yeah. Your bank account is like moderately grown because of the, how many of your books we sell. So, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> and it's all just earth tones. I, every time it's like the same thing where I try, I'm like, this time I really use a lot of color. I'm very proud of myself. And then we get a book review and it's just like in his usual browns and grays. And you're like, okay, I guess I didn't. <laughs> I thought I did. <laughs> People, people like we have different versions of the of your like hat books and stuff, and you know one of them is like black, right? And that that board book with the black cover is one of our best sellers for the kids. Yeah. Books, so. Oh, that's so that's contrast though. I see that was and especially when we made that book, the common wisdom was that that black books don't sell. Like books with black covers don't right. sell. And yeah. I had a book when I was little called I think it was called Ten Apples Up on Top. It was an oh, old. Yeah 
Roy McKee, I think Dr. Zeus wrote it under a pen name or something, but it had a black cover with these three animals on it with apples on their heads. And that one, and there was another one that Dr. Zeus had done called Bartholomew Cubbins and his something like 5,000 hats or something like that. And it was on black too. And I always pulled them down because they felt so interesting because they were so dark. Yeah. Um, he used a lot of black early on. I think he stopped doing it after a while, but those, some of those sixties books used a lot of black and they were always my favorites. I always wanted ones that felt like those. Hmm. That's why we fought for, and also I didn't, it didn't feel deep down dark water enough on that fish book. If we didn't use black, I liked Hmm. the use of black, just you could pop stuff out of it and it was an easy visual organization of stuff. And there was contrast again, you know where to look, Yeah. but we had a, I think we had a bit of a battle on our hands from sales at first because they were like black books aren't, they sort of bum people out. They don't buy them, but that's great that they do pick them up. That's really good news. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that kids think that way. <laughs> <laughs> we Mac and Mac Barnett and I just did a Santa Claus book that's coming out this winter. Sweet. And it's on black. At least the covers on black. And a lot of the interiors are on black too. Um, I just, for some reason it feels like nighttime. Well, of course it does, but like, it feels like nighttime at Christmas too. As soon as we put snowflakes on it, it felt like, like, mm. I don't know. That just reminded me of Christmas a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Graham quiz time. Let's do it. Let's let's challenge John Clausen to. Uh, actually, I have no idea what your quiz is about. So, John, you, this you, will be you his, guys, it, it'll be it, new for me too. You guys think you're ready? You think it's time? I think oh, it's. Man. I think we should do it. Oh, all right. So, John Graham's cracking um, his knuckles. <laughs> you know, we like to customize a, a quiz for each one of our guests, and usually on a theme. And for you, it was. There was like it was a a bounty of choice, right? Like an embarrassment of riches. We could have gone in any direction. <laughs> I just went for the low hanging fruit on this one. Uh, I'm giving you a hat quiz. Oh no, I'm so actually limited in my knowledge of hats because all I wear is baseball. Excellent. Hats. Let's, let's Excellent. go for it anyway. Okay, so um, some of these. Plus, you were going to questions... do a quiz on Claus and pickles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be well suited to that. I love it. Some of these questions are open ended. But you could still get them wrong. Uh, and and then other ones are multiple choice. Are you ready? I'm ready if you are. Okay. Question number one. This one is open-ended. All right. Mm. If you put on your head anything, does it become a hat? Let's say a bowl of ice cream. When does a hat become a hat? We're starting philosophical. I mean, it depends on how socially acceptable you want it to be. But technically speaking, I think that, yeah, just about anything can be a hat. I think that Mac, even Mac Barnett and his pod and his reader sort of Instagram thing had a line about that, that anything can be a hat. I think that's about right. And also, I always enjoyed at least the first book, especially of mine, that that hat was so abstract that basically it's a triangle until you put it on a bear's head or someone's Mm. head and then it becomes a hat. So I think I've taken full advantage of the breadth of a definition there. What if, if you put a blanket yeah. on your head, is it a hat? Oh, that's a, see, that, well, now we've found the whole, I don't think, yeah, if it drapes over you, I think it has to be solid, okay. fairly solid. So it, it, maintain, it retains its shape. Got, okay, it got has it. to have some structural integrity to, 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 become, to stay a hat. If it's just a sheet or a piece of paper, I, I think you've taken it too far. What if, what if it's <laughs> already a defined piece of clothing, like a shoe? Does it cease to be a shoe? once it becomes a hat or is it still just both no i think it becomes a hat at least temporarily becomes the hat yeah. what do you think david yeah i mean do you think this is a good answer or you think we should give him a point i think we can accept that i was thinking the same thing 
Did you guys have the opposite in mind? Were you were you just hats? Hats are hats, and nothing else is. No, a I'm a, I'm name your... it and claim it. Just any yeah, just yeah. put it on your head. It's a hat. You call it a hat. It's a hat. Yeah, I mean, I'd never heard the question before, so I I wear bowls of spaghetti all the time. Well, you look back over the over the you know the history of of human civilization, and lots of things that would not be considered hats now are probably hats in the course of things. So we're just a blip in our current hat history. I don't think we have any business claiming the objective version of a hat. I mean, they wore stovepipes as hats previously, so... Yeah, yeah. Who are we to... No. <laughs> All right, Graham. Question number two. Question number two. Okay, so this question uh, was born out of a mental picture uh, that I conjured up last week. No, I didn't conjure it. It came to me. Um, so you know, the, <laughs> you know the famous painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware in his continental hat? Sure. Okay, mm-hmm. so what if instead... Uh, he was wearing um, one of those baseball caps with the soda holders and the straws that come down, <laughs> right? I've got so you. this got I'm me thinking, there. like, yeah. which of the following headwear swapping scenarios would result in the funniest outcome? Or best mm-hmm. outcome. You can define best. Okay, number one, Dumbledore in a fedora. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. B, Indiana Jones in a birthday hat. Uh, C, Frank Sinatra in a sombrero, or uh, D, Sherlock Holmes in a beanie. Go. I get the biggest laugh out of Indiana Jones in a party hat just because he's so deadpan most of the time. I think there's a good chance that Dumbledore in his history did wear a fedora. You know, he's pretty old. And then, uh, what was the other one? There was Uh, was, Sinatra uh, in a sombrero. See, there's a good chance that Sinatra yeah. wore a sombrero and he really pulled it off, right? Like that yeah, guy, that guy was going to Cabo every other weekend. Yeah, for sure. I think that there was lots of sombrero wearing in his life. So that's probably, it would be it would be funny, but you'd also be kind of angry at how well he wore it, probably. So what was that uh, last one? There was Sherlock one Holmes in a beanie. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, again, he cuts a mean profile. I think he'd pull it off. I think you'd get the biggest kick out of Indiana Jones in a party house. All right, B, Indiana Jones, that is the correct answer. Uh, that that is by far the funniest uh, mental picture. Okay. Question number three. Okay. So standing at 4.8 meters tall, which is 15.9 feet, 15 feet, nine inches, uh, the light gray top hat of Odilon Ozaire of Tampa, Florida now officially holds the record as the tallest hat. The hat itself was 15 feet tall? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's your question. Are you interested in beating this record? And how soon <laughs> can we get started constructing a 16 foot hat? I'm interested now. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was, but I didn't know about this. So it's just in the last 20 seconds become interesting. So I am interested. Okay. I had a drawing in college of a kid wearing like one of those knit beanies with like the snowflakes and, and snowmen knit into it, but it was super tall. So it had like, five or six levels of these snowflakes and everything. And I, the caption of the drawing was, it was the best hat. And it was only the best hat because it was the tallest as far as I could see. And so I think that there is some correlation between the greatness of a hat and the tallness of the hat. Uh, okay. I'm interested in beating it. Yeah, who, is this guy still alive? Is he around to be beaten? Or would it be kind of sad if his family was sort of... Uh, I looked up his picture um, of him wearing this hat. I think, I think uh, we should take him down. <laughs> he looks beatable. He looks beatable. He, he just he, he thought he looked like a, a guy we should beat. Yeah. 
right. All right. Uh, I'm down. I mean, even on those grounds on its own, even besides my interest in, in, you know, a tall hat, if this guy looks like he should be taken down a peg, let's, let's take him down. <laughs> yeah. In his bio, he said, principal, uh, he was called a, um, a veteran milliner. And I was like, no, no. Well, is I, he, okay. But like, like, again, what era are we, is he, is he current? Is this guy like around? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'd say no. Right. Three yeah, people who know barely anything about hat construction should take this guy down. A right. professional, right? Well, what defines like if you st- if you even if you took up like it has to be one contained hat, right? You couldn't stack some hats. Correct. It has to be one it hat, be... and you have to walk ten feet in it. Fifteen feet. So fifteen is is the is the impressive part there that it just maintains structural integrity and stood like stood on its own. Was that the hard part of this, or was it just that he tried at all? Like, how hard would it actually be if you decided to do it? <laughs> You're right. Feet? You're right. Maybe this is the only guy who's ever set to just... do this record. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're going to do it. We'll set a date. We'll figure this out. <laughs> all, all right. All right. Question number four. <laughs> Located in Bridport, England. The Bridport Hat Festival is, as you might have guessed, a celebration of hats uh, and a fundraiser for head-related charities and a giant summer-ending party for the town of Bridport and its visitors. Okay, so at the Bridport Hat Festival, one can expect to see or participate in many hat-related activities. Okay, which of the following is a real activity at the Bridport hat festival all right option a hat hoarding that is where you run around and scoop up as many hats as you can over the course of two minutes and then you sit on them and grunt when people come up to you and ask if they can have one of your hats Mm. Mm -hmm. uh b hat hurling as in who can throw their hat the farthest not hurling as in who can eat their hat and then throw it up the the fastest the old english hurling right Right. yeah Although I would watch both of those. Yeah, uh, they both send it. <laughs> C, uh, hat hallucinating. Okay, so for this, think like Emperor's New Clothes. So the competition is all about confidence. The contestants walk about <laughs> pretending to wear wonderfully posh, oversized hats. And How does one stand when one really is wearing the best hat mm. of the group, right? Uh, and uh, option D, hat hankering, uh, where they make the contestants sit at a table hatless but then show them a pristine top hat and an adjacent table just out of reach. And the winner is whatever contestant looks the most longingly. (laughs) I like the sound of judging that last one. I I like the discussions that would be had. Would you like a recap? Well, no, no, I think I'm okay. I think I got it. He doesn't I, want to listen to all that again. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I, got, I, I, I think the first two sound the most plausible ah. as far as what would what would be a, a good game as far as one of the easiest to judge anyway. <laughs> I'm going to go for hat hurling just because of the, the wording there and because it seems like, again, the easiest one to pull off as a, as a game. David, he got it. I got it. It was ding, not. Ding, ding, it ding. was not happening. I'm a little upset. I've never heard of this festival. We sell our books in England. How come we haven't been invited out to this thing? It seems well, thematic. I don't think Bridport is particularly large. Um, this might be a festival of you know 15 people. I don't know. I'm uh, down though. I would come. We've got, we've been to smaller events than that. Certainly, I could go. <laughs> All right. Here's the final question. Question five. Spoken like an author. <laughs> <laughs> I've flown to places for less than 15 people. Come on, put me on a plane. <laughs> All right, so John, a hat trick 
Okay, so a hat-trick is where a player, usually in hockey or soccer, scores three goals in a single game, Mm -hmm. which is a very difficult feat. Um, And in hockey, when this happens, many fans throw their hats onto the ice in celebration. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. just hats raining down from the stands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, people know about this tradition and know all about the hat-trick, but what is lesser known is not the hat-trick, but the hat-treat, which, of course, as you know, uh, occurs when a fan manages to throw their hat onto the player's head who had just scored the hat trick. Mm. And and when that happens, everybody in the arena gets free ice cream. Um, So the hat treat. And uh, we have it, we did a bit of research, and we have it on good authority that in 1992, an 11-year-old John Klassen achieved this very feat by tossing his crisp Winnipeg Jets hat from the upper deck uh, directly onto the head of Finnish sensation Temu Solani. Uh, You're kidding so, me. Uh, well, this it, all happened for real. Well, it, it happened to you. Yes. You don't remember? What the, year was this? Ninety two. Ninety two. Yep. Okay. It was the it was the blank spot in his life. So his my memory. only question <laughs> is is this, John? Uh, what did it feel like at that moment, and what does it feel like in general to be such a legend? Oh my! So I, I wish my wife. Uh, is in the house. I'm in the garage, but she is a massive Timu Solani fan. I confess to not being as big into hockey living in Canada, but once I moved down here and met her, she is a huge hockey fan and I became much more into hockey having met a girl from Orange County somehow. That's how that happened. Even though you, uh, you got the hat treat by throwing your even hat though I apparently head? did <laughs> In Winnipeg, even though I didn't live in Winnipeg then, which is even more impressive. And I'm not well, you you were visiting. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Being um, a big team of Salani. Right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> when did the Jets stop playing for a while? I'm sure it wasn't at 1996. It felt great to answer your question. It, it felt, felt very, apparently very memorable. And yeah, uh, it, it affected me for the rest of my life. I'd like to say <laughs> uh, a reminding hello to Timu if he's out there. And yeah. that we're all big fans. I mean, people talk about also, it all the time. I, I mean, people talk about getting <laughs> that ice cream. So the whole city of Winnipeg, I, it's just like, I will say too, if you've ever seen a phone book from Winnipeg, uh, especially around when they were phone books, uh, the, the pages of Clausen's and even John Clausen's uh, that I've heard of is, is, is pretty thick. You can get through yeah. a lot of pages before you mm-hmm. run out of John Clausen's. Well, it's because everybody is naming their kids after the person who did the hat treat. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> from 1992 onwards, there was a massive yeah. spike and a huge section. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I do have a hold on. I got an important question though. So John made it clear earlier that he doesn't like to go go about his day without a hat on. Mm. So when you're going to the hockey game and you throw your hat onto Team Musolani's head, do you have a backup in your you back have pocket? To. Yeah, to you replace? don't go to the hockey game with your favorite hat. Absolutely not. I would I would be the only one with my hat left on. There's too many affectionate hats. You got to go with a with a burner. Yeah. Hat. The burner hat. Yes. Like burner the hat. extra one you just you just keep around in case or you're if there you don't for the like if you brought if some by some mistake or, or or twist of fate you end up at the game with your favorite hat, you stop by the shop and you get some, you know, again a burner hat. Uh, that's yeah. That has to. You can't. You spend thirty thirty eight dollars for the triple uh, A hockey. It's team. better than losing your favorite hat. Absolutely it's true. Yeah. Okay. It's so true. it's true. Um, John went five for five on the quiz. <laughs> Incredible. Logan put in a uh, sound effect of a hockey goal uh, horn mm-hmm. going off. Um, I wonder how hard he's gonna have to look for that sound effect <laughs> in his Dude, sound effects. 
Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Logan, he'll do it a cappella somehow. <laughs> <laughs> he'll compose the, the sound. Good job, John. Thank you. Thank. Well, you made it easy. You made. You guys were very kind hosts. I, I didn't feel intimidated or, or out of my depth. There. <laughs> well, okay. This brings us to our final activity here, and it is our word of the week segment. Are you ready to figure out uh, the the definition for a weird word in the English language? Okay. Yes, I'm ready. So, uh, Graham. Yeah. Um, well, John. You know, I don't know if you know this. We have a bookstore troll that kind of like uh, terrorizes. Us, I would say, is the way of putting it. Uh, he has been particularly terrorizing us by making it difficult for us to get the word of the week. Mm. Initially, he he actually stole our word of the week dictionary during season two of this show, and then uh, bribed us. We would have to give him things in order for him to give us the word. Uh, eventually, he hit the road and then would telegram us back the word of the week from all over the world, where he and en- ended up uh, connecting with our word of the week printer, which was back in season one, which came alive and then uh, became animate and-, and ran off on its new legs. So anyway, they're together, <laughs> and apparently they're down in the basement, uh, and they- <laughs> we have to send Graham down there to get the word of the week. So just, Graham, can you can you go ahead head down there and-, and get the word of the week, or did you already do that? I can't remember. I already did it. I got it. Oh, you already did. I got okay. It. okay. Been, so okay. they've just been they've just been requesting things, and they they seem pretty innocuous. Like, um, I don't even remember what he so was last year. Could, it was like a tool or something. Last yeah, week, yeah. So he just asked for a bunch of paper and a bunch of ink, which makes sense to me. It's a printer, right? So, uh, I did have so to. We got tools and paper. And ink. I okay. did use uh, your uh, Goldberry Books debit card, so it's a business expense. Um, you'll just have write to write it off. It, but yeah, yeah I, uh, was I'm a, sure my uh, okay. So all right, let me be honest. It was um, a pallet of paper. It was a thousand reams of paper. Um, it was a lot of paper. Well, I guess we're going out of business. I was going to say, at least he's sounding more and more reasonable, but then he's not anymore. Anyway, yeah. we got the word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Okay. Look. okay all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the, the document here. Okay. Right. John, our word of the week is... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. It's Mumpsimus. M-U-M-P-S-I-M-U-S. Mumpsimus. Is it a an adjective? Oy. Uh Should I give him? Uh, well, I don't know, because I don't know what it means yet. Right. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a minute. We're going to think about what we think this word of the week means. We're going to write down the definition, and then we're going to come back and reveal the truth. So, you know, Logan, drop some music in here, and we're going to go about one minute of thought time. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pace around for a minute. All right, we are back. It is time to reveal what Mumpsimus actually means. John, you're our guest, so why don't you go first? Um, I think this is a pretty good guess. Um, Mount Vesuvius is a famous volcano that blew and covered a whole town mm-hmm. uh, with lava, and you can still go and see the things that were covered because they're very preserved because lava preserves things. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a very famous mountain. Um a lesser-known mountain, not too far away from Mount Vesuvius, is Mount Mumpsimus. Um, mm. Did not blow. Mm. It's a very quiet mountain, Ooh. and it is the origin of the term "mum" is the word. Mm. Mm. But you don't hear about that's it very pretty often good because no one hears about quiet volcanoes. Why would you? Right, yeah, that's true. Just like a hill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> Graham, what do you think Mumpsimus means? I, mean, I think that's pretty. That's how John Sims. 
possible. Yeah, it's better than mine. Uh, mine is a uh, uh, Mumpsmith. Mumpsmith um, is a creature. Although you can refer to somebody as acting mumps um, mm-hmm. but it's a creature. He um, lives in the hills. Routinely comes out though to steal people's hats, uh, <laughs> and then bonks them on the head with a stolen mallet from uh, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> it's a very, very specific creature. They have yeah. weird habit. <laughs> well, that's why the word is so weird. Yeah, it's a very specific word. Mumps. There weren't other words left, so they were just like eh, mumpsimus. Sounds mumps. right. Right. Well, I think Mumpsimus is, um, it's a feeling. It's its that feeling, you guys probably know what it's like. It's the feeling of dread that comes over you before you have to go to the doctor or the dentist or something like mm. that. You're feeling, you're feeling Mumpsimus. Mm-hmm. That's what I think, that's what I think it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to the point where you want to know if you even have the mumps. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Maybe, maybe, you. yeah, maybe that's why you're going to the doctor. Yeah. Okay, let's find out what the real, the real definition of Mumpsimus is. Mumpsimus, well, it's an Mumpsimus is an outdated and unreasonable position on an issue. Huh. Not so, at all useful these days. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very few of these words are in, in reality. <laughs> <laughs> an outdated and unreasonable position on an issue, such as perhaps um uh millinery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that guy's opinion is about to be completely obsolete because we're gonna that's right just completely sure. obliterate him. He's yeah. gonna be a monster. Have- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. His whole life and work. <laughs> I like how All much right. we just we're just out to get this guy. I don't know. I know. <laughs> Poor guy. He's like our number one. Wouldn't it be fan. weird? <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if his name was also John Clausen? Since oh, there's so many. There's, of them? I mean, there's an excellent chance given the revelations here today. Yeah. Yeah, well, sure, he's exactly. from Florida, so probably not. Right. Right. It's he's world not a, He's not from nah. Winnipeg. Nah. Yeah. Well, Graham, we got to let John go here. Why don't we end with this question? Do you have any advice, John, for the kids who are listening who want to be authors or illustrators uh, and, and um, you know, maybe they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. maybe 13, could be as old as 14, maybe 15. Uh, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, got a little carried away there. I would say, I would say that there's a quote that Mac says a lot and I really like it too. I think it's useful for both writing and drawing. And he says that writers are people for whom writing is especially hard. And I like that very much. I always thought that drawing was hard and writing is really hard. Mm. It just means that you care a lot. And the caring part is much more important than whatever people's uh, like talent. If you, if you, if you hear about that Mm. word, Um, most of my job is just trying to care more, uh, than I thought I did about something or taking care of it more or, or trying just a little bit before you think it's done, before you let it go, before you send it in, just caring, especially a lot about it being good as far as you're concerned, whatever your definition of that is. And so it should be hard. It always is. And if it feels hard, that doesn't mean you're not good at it or that the thing won't be good at the end. Um, Mm. um, it doesn't correlate that way. If it's easy, it's no fun. No one likes these things to be easy. If they're easy, then you don't have any work to do. So mm. it's supposed to be hard, and it, and that doesn't mean it won't be fun or that it won't be great. Mm. That's a, I don't. We've never gotten that that particular piece of advice on the show. That's that's a really good one. What what was what's the what's what's one of the ones you have gotten that was super good though? Can you remember? I mean, we we, <laughs> we always because like when you do that, well, I don't like, know, we don't listen like, to someone's got a really good one, and I'm just going to make something up. I didn't make that up. That was one I have heard and thought about, but. 
Is there something that's like really, really knocked it out of the park for advice like that? Well, the one we I could the, use some too. We could always use some creative advice. The one we get the most is is um, you have to be reading. You, you have know, to be you reading. Ha- you have to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's the one that most authors say. Yeah, read and write if you want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people point to showing up, and, right? Um, actually sitting and 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 doing the work. Um, but yeah, reading, paying attention. Just mm-hmm. in everything in general in life. Uh, yeah, I would put that like like as, as as it applies to reading. I think you could feel bad that you're not a fast reader, that you don't have ten books going or something. But paying attention yeah. while you're reading the one book you're able to get through a year is better than reading fifteen and not retaining anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. I think somebody did give the advice of just carry a journal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. That is good. Like, yeah, like you're saying, and being like receptive to ideas and like, like if you're making mac and cheese and something comes into your head, and it just, yeah, don't right. let it go. Right. It like, doesn't happen very I was reading this book. I have this book that my friend gave me, who's a musician, and we were talking about, he talks about songwriting and I talk about this. And I found way more correlation to musicians talking about songwriting than I do like novelists talking about writing because picture books are so brief. And no one like it's, it feels the same as when he talks about like a song that falls out or like you get one hit and then you don't know where mm-hmm. that came from or why you can't do it again because they're so short. You can't keep track of what's going on in your brain when they fall out like that. And it sounds much closer to that than it does um, like long form writing or like when you talk about writing as you know it to be with essays or something you do in school. Writing a picture book is much it feels more like when I hear about writing songs. And he got me this book called mm-hmm. Songwriters on Songwriting. Um, and when I read it, it sounds the same way. They're just mystified. All these great artists, all these great songwriters are just like, we have no idea. I just hold my hand up to the sky and hope I catch a ball. Like that's basically what it feels like. And it's it's much more in, in line with what this job feels like too than than writing as you academically kind of figure it out to be. Yeah. 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 Hey John, listen, we're gonna let you go because we've kept you for an hour and you've got stuff to draw. I had an hour for you guys and I was hoping to fill it. This has been so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. We're really looking forward to seeing the new book and uh we're gonna keep pushing them, pushing all the all the backlists, if you will. And I can't thank you guys enough for all the support and everything else. Thank you so much. It's the reason these books get off the ground at all. I know mm. it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Well that was John Clausen. Thanks uh, so much to Mr. John Clausen for coming on the podcast and having a conversation with us. Be sure to grab some of his books wherever you buy books. If you'd like to buy them from our bookstore, you can go to goldberrybooks.com and click the little shop button and and search and get them shipped to your house if you'd like. Or you can come by the bookstore if you're ever in the area. That was another uh, another great conversation. But this episode, Graham, it's, yeah. not, it's not over yet. No, it can't be. We, we still have... We still have one more segment. Do you remember which segment it is? Uh, it is Riddle Time, sponsored by Bread Bath and Beyond. Hey, how did that go over the Bread Bath and Beyond? Did you get? I any don't feedback even know what it one? is anymore. People have been asking me. I'm confused. You didn't get any feedback on that one, though. I think if it's an idea that I had, I've already forgotten. Um, okay, well, it, I'll take breads, and and if you want to give me, you know, I, I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. So, so last week's, but I'm glad they're sponsoring. This yeah, segment. I know we got was so many sponsors. This, okay, so we uh, we um, have a riddle about a man who drives from all the way across the country. Yeah, at the end of his trip, he discovers that one of his his tires has been punctured, and the real question is the the question at the core of this riddle, at the heart of this riddle, Graham, mm-hmm. 
is how was he able to make the drive with a punctured tire? What kind of answers did we get from the kids? I'll tell you, I'll tell you two. Mm -hmm. So this is a riddle that when you said it, I had no idea. And I neglected to look it up. But then as soon as the kids started sending their answers in, I was like, oh. Graham, I have a secret for you. What? The kids are smarter than you. Oh, yeah, I'm realizing. So the... um, It's all the snacks. What? They eat snacks. Yeah, but you've been eating them for a whole lifetime. Oh, that's true. So the answer that we got the most of was that the spare tire, either on the back of the car like a Jeep, Mm -hmm. or under the car, or even inside in the trunk, Mm -hmm. somehow was punctured. And then somebody said... The steering wheel was punctured. So that got me thinking, maybe that's correct. Because I can't remember if you said one of the wheels had a nail in it or one of the tires. Because if you said wheels, it could be a steering wheel. So I can't confirm or deny exactly what yeah, I yeah. said, but it's written here as tires. But I think we, I still like the, the <clears throat> thoughtfulness that went into that answer. It I do too. I cr- I'm, I'm saying correct. The correct. To both, yes, because the, the the answer I was looking for was spare tire, but we will accept steering wheel because... That's probably... a good riddle. I like that. So all of you who got that answer right will be entered into our drawing to win books at the end of this season, as will all of the kids who answer this week's riddle correctly. Graham, are you ready? Let's go. Okay, here's this week's riddle. So Bob Dylan goes to a carnival. <laughs> Sounds like a Tom Waits song. <laughs> Again, all the kids are just there's just a whole bunch of kids who are wondering what we're talking about. So Bob Dylan is at a carnival, and he goes up to a booth where a the man working the booth, I, I believe, customarily that would have been called a carny, but I'm not sure that we still call him that. Uh, he says to he says to Bob Dylan, "Hey, Bob Dylan, <laughs> if I write your exact weight on this piece of paper, then you got to give me a hundred dollars. Oh, but if I cannot." I'll pay you $100. So Bob Dylan, he sees no scale near the booth, so naturally he's he's up for a game, so he agrees. Yeah, right? how can that guy possibly right. know? He can't know, right? You have to just be... You have to be someone who guesses really well and has yeah. just a lot of experience with... If that's his job, we can see it getting pretty close, but exactly... Mm. He's the guy who just works at a carnival, mm. right? Although, if it's really Bob Dylan, he could just Google his weight. Oh, that's sure. true. That's, that's online true. somewhere. That's true. But also... This is a different Bob Dylan. He also may uh, gain some weight. Bob Dylan... Oh, that's true. Fluctuations. Yeah, or lost some weight. He's on a tour bus. He's running a juice cleanse. Yeah. So he he agrees, right? He's like, there's there's no way this guy's going to be able to to guess Bob Dylan's weight. Mm. However, Graham... Bum, bum, bum. In the end, Bob Dylan had to pay this carnival worker exactly... $100, $100, probably all in ones. Just feel like that's something that Bob Dylan would do when losing a bet. A gold how did, bullion. How did, <laughs> Girl, how did the how did the carnival worker win the bet? That is this week's riddle. Um You mean to say it again one more time? No, this this one this riddle's got me all tangled up in blue. <laughs> I don't know. I'm <laughs> Oh, this is an episode for the parents. So, uh, it's okay. So, one more time. A man uh, by the name of Bob Dylan goes to a carnival. He goes to up to a booth. Was he wearing his boots of Spanish leather? Where, I mean, as he always does. Okay. He, uh, he, it's my favorite Bob Dylan song. He goes to a booth where the carnival worker says, if I write your exact weight on this piece of paper, then you have to give me $100. 
But if I cannot, I'll pay you $100. In the end, however, that carnival worker won his $100. How did the carnival worker win this Mm. bet? That's the question. I love it. All right. I love it. You're baffled? I've heard this one before, but like you say, I've lived a lifetime and I got snacks in the brain. I got all sorts of ailments you happening. Got a, you got a big wad of licorice in the brain yeah. where your riddle answer should be. Should be. That's yeah. right. Yeah, right. Well, we hope that doesn't happen to anybody who's listening to this episode, at least not for at least 30 years. <sighs> this has been, it's been a fun time, Graham. It's been Anything good. Anything else you want to add to, for the kids before we go? We would love to see you guys. Um, well, with- Graham, we have to tell the kids how to answer the riddle. We forgot. Oh, thank you. Podcasts. <laughs> if you think you know the answer to this week's riddle, email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Uh, and then uh, we've been getting a lot of emails in, so hopefully we'll give you a thumbs up or something um, to let you know you got it right when you email in. It might take a, it might, it might be a little bit delayed, but we'll try to, we'll try to let you know if you're, if you're on the right track. And don't forget um, that if you want to leave some feedback, you could do that at wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this episode, Go to withywindle.substack.com, click on the episode, and leave us a comment down there. We'd love to hear from you and your families. And, and, and in the comments, don't forget that you can let us know how to... How, to, how to rename the, uh, Mailman. Mailman. And okay. Mailbox. Yeah. Save the world from terrible... Oh, and we didn't, we didn't talk about this, but in the past, we've been getting... We get drawings and, and uh, different things from the kids. We like to post those on our Instagram, but we would also post them now on our little website there. And so why not get some... Coop de loop drawings. That's such a great idea. Coop de loop. Coop de loop. Uh, David on the coop de loop. David surrounded Bob by Dylan chickens. Bob Dylan at a carnival. Bob Dylan on a in a carnival. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a custardy dragon. Oh, custardy the dragon. Uh, there's a yeah, lot yeah, yeah, from this yeah. episode. Easily come up with ten things to draw. We'd love to see those. We'll we'll post we, them. We absolutely will post some in a cu- in the next couple of weeks. Once we get some things in, we will share some of our favorites on that page so that everybody can see them. One of my favorites was a couple years ago was you as a pumpkin head. Or maybe it was me as a pumpkin head. No, it was you as a pumpkin head. And I was chasing with a spoon. Somebody drew that. I, don't, I, I can't even remember why. Was it you? Did you draw this? Yeah, it was, I've been working on it a long time. I just wanted to drop, drop in that I was so proud of it. Is that why you have a 60-foot canvas in your office back home? 60-foot? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. It's... Uh, it's it's big. I've been, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's what's called the ceiling. I've been. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a mural. It's a mural. It's a ceiling mural. <laughs> that explains the crick in your neck. <laughs> you have been walking in a circle. Yeah. Speaking of circles, this episode probably should end. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been listening to Withy Wendell. We are so grateful to everybody who leaves such great feedback. You guys make it so worth it. And we're just pleased to be able to, to bring you this podcast. So thank you for listening. All right. Well, that brings us to another end. Another end of uh, another episode. Uh, I'm uh, I'm David Kern. Yeah, oh, you want to say something else? Uh, I just I've won. Like, I just want to kind of bear my heart and say a few things that have been really, before I like, get stabbed. <laughs> before I like, I just I'm feeling very emotional, and I just feel like I need to say once and for all how much. <laughs>